The demons know what they don't want you to know. Jesus is the Son of God. Today, everything's going to be wrapped around a single idea. The revelation and the witness testimony that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Today's going to be session number 11 in our series from 1 John. There'll be one more next week, and guess what the title of it is? The End. <laughs> it's how John finishes his letter. And I want to say this, uh, you do not want to miss the end. Uh, he has a powerful conclusion to his letter. I'll give you a hint. He says that uh, there is a sin that I don't ask you to pray about. There's a sin that leads to death, and I don't ask you to pray about that sin. But not every sin leads to death. That's in his last part of his letter. But today, we're in the final chapter, and uh, there's a summary verse. Verse 1, chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves his children too. The New Living Translation uses the word believer or believers 176 different times in the New Testament to describe who we are in Christ. And you know what believers do? They believe. It's not complicated, but they believe something specifically. There's not just this generalization about believers. There is something specific. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. And when I say the word Christ, the Jewish, uh, the Hebrew would say the word Messiah. So Christ, Messiah, but ultimately the word Christ and Messiah points to something else. He's the Son of God. He's God wrapped in human flesh. Believers believe that believing in Christ makes us his brothers and sisters. And becoming his brother makes us the children of his father. Making peace with God through faith in the Son. Believing in Jesus gives us the Spirit of Jesus. There is no other way to receive the Holy Spirit except believing in Jesus, putting our faith in Him. He gives us His Spirit in our hearts, and this gives us the ability and the power to love in a way that unbelievers will never understand. When we believe Jesus, we will love Jesus. When we believe Jesus, we will love Jesus. And when we love Jesus, we will love the Father who sent Jesus to the earth to save us. And when we love the Father, listen, when we love the Father, we will also love his other children, fellow believers, the people of the church. Believing in Jesus is called faith. And faith in Jesus makes us the children of God the children of the Father. Jesus tells us that there's another Father, and therein lies the trouble of all mankind. Believing in Jesus as the only begotten Son acknowledges that there is a Father, the Son of the Father. But the problem is there's another Father, another spiritual Father. We discussed it last week in what I titled the spirit war. In John 8, 42, Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me, the son. Because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he, the father, sent me the son. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. Now, how do you think that went over when he said that? Did he just call them the children of the devil? Your father's the devil? 
And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in. This father has no truth. You're, you're the children of your, uh, the other father. And there's no truth in him. He hates the truth. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he's a liar and the father, the father of all lies. Everything hinges on our believing in Jesus, not just believing that he exists, but by believing specifically that he is the son of God. This is the only way to become a child of God, is to put our faith and trust in the son of God. And when we legitimately become children of God, we will love other believers, our brothers and sisters, what we call the church. And what will that look like? Living in a fallen and sinful world, we're in John's final chapter, and I acknowledge today that we are believers in Jesus as the Son of God, but we live in a fallen world that is right now under the dominion and the authority of the other father. His name is Satan, the devil. And this past week, most of you, I'm sure, like me, were disappointed by the election results of Amendment Number 2. This church came out openly in support of Amendment Number 2 to try to protect children in their mother's wombs, and that was defeated pretty soundly. And it kind of reveals to me the spirit war that I talked about last week is real. And church, you need to understand that and kind of revealed to me that we are way more in a minority than even I thought we were. The church needs to understand that welcome to the post-Christian culture. You're living in it. Never could we have imagined that we would live in what people would call the post, the after-Christian culture, to where a state like Kentucky, can't even muster enough votes to say that a, a woman does not have the right to end the life of her child in her womb. But we're there. We're in a post-Christian culture. The church has become very rapidly a minority inside of this country. And until you acknowledge that, you will never be effective in the spiritual war because you're still in denial of the other father, the one who is filled with lies, and there is no truth in him. So what would it look like if we loved each other with God's love? Let's start there. I'm going to read the first two verses of chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his children too. Loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Notice there's two parts. We know we love God's children. That's each other. It begins with loving his only begotten, right? If we love God's children and obey his commandments. Believers love God's children. Beginning with the only begotten, which is his child, and then that extends to the other brothers and sisters inside his loving family. John links other loving our brothers and sisters to a word that a lot of people struggle with. It's called obedience. John, not me, links loving our brothers and sisters to obedience to God's commandments. He says, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Do you find it difficult to love your earthly family? Do you find it difficult to, to love your earthly family? And let's talk about siblings and brothers and sisters inside of a family. When I grew up, my dad required that I loved my brothers, even if I didn't like them. It was kind of a household requirement. It was something I grew up with. We used to fight all the time. Uh, there were four boys, five years from top to bottom, and what did we do for recreation? We fought. 
We did. That's what we did. We, we were roughing. We were rough and tumbly, and we just kind of fought. And, but something I noticed about my family growing up is that we would fight like cats and dogs between each other, but then you'd get on the school bus and one of the, some bully would pick on one of the brothers and he had a mess of Coopers on him. <laughs> you see, we understood that, yeah, we argue and fight inside the family. It's just kind of how we do it. But then we're inside of a circle. And if somebody outside the circle tries to come against somebody on the inside of the circle, those inside of the circle protect their own family. My earthly father would demand that I, for example, would stand up for my brothers and my brothers would stand up for me. You would not want to be around my dad if one of my older brothers didn't take care of me if I got in trouble. He would hold them accountable for me, the little kid on the school bus, for example. We understood that inside the family, there was a responsibility to each other, to protect each other from people who are outside of the circle called the family. So I ask you a question, how much more would our perfect heavenly father expect from his children inside the body of Christ? Let's go to verse three. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And let me say it again. Every child of God defeats the evil world. Over the last few weeks, I've made a statement multiple times. The only survivors in this spirit war will be the children of God. Do you understand? Everybody else is going to lose, and they will be lost. Only the children of God will survive the spirit war. Verse 4 again, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory over this evil world through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Who? Only those. Here's the core today. Who can win this battle, this spirit war, inside this evil world? Only those who believe, there's our key word, that Jesus is specifically and uniquely the Son of God. So there's a lot of things you can believe about a lot of things. But salvation is based upon a single truth, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, specifically. Can any of us say we love God while living in direct and willful obedience, disobedience to his commandments to love each other? You see, God equates us how we treat each other to what we believe to be true about him. Do you find this commandment to love your brother, Jesus, and his brothers and sisters, the church, burdensome? Do you find it burdensome to love the church and to love Jesus, the head of the church? Then something is wrong because the Spirit of Christ is the source of all brotherly love. So if you're struggling with brotherly love, you're more than likely struggling with the source of brotherly love in your own heart. Because loving our neighbor as we love ourselves comes from a supernatural power, not the flesh. It comes from Christ in me. Start there. Yes, we are living each day in a spirit war. This is our victory in the spirit war. He says we achieve this victory through our faith. And John even makes the key to victory specific. And here's where everything is heading today in this message. And let me, I said to the first service this morning, of the 12 first John sermons that I have written, the last two are the hardest. And they've been the biggest struggle for me because they go very deep. And you're going to see that in a minute, especially the end, the last one. John makes this victory specific. Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He makes it very specific. 
Everything hinges on this, believing that Jesus is indeed who he says he is. He's the son of God. And a lot of people say, okay, he's the son of God. No, 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 you're not getting it. So when I say he's the son of God, last week I tried to draw a picture in this way. When you come to a conclusion with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that there was a man who walked upon the earth who was God. Not God Jr., but he was God. The creator of everything that is anything. He has all power, all dominion, all authority over everything, anywhere, all the time. And when you come to this conclusion, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that there was a man on the earth who is God. And he died on a tree to save you. And he rose from the dead and he turned around to the world and said two words. Follow me. When you get it, you will follow him. So if you're struggling with the whole obedience thing and loving your neighbor and, and living the life, then, then there's something fundamentally flawed with your faith, which comes down to the fact you still don't get who he is. You're still not processing correctly who he is. Because when you know who he is, you will follow him. Yes, you will. Yeah, you will. You still don't know it yet. And John, in today's message, links this truth that the only victory in the spirit war is that you come to this conclusion that he is really the son of God. So let's go to verse six. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son. How? By his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross and not by water only, but by water and blood and the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we, John says, we have these three witnesses. And what's the witness about? That Jesus is the son of God. We have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three agree on a single truth. Then this single truth is your victory in the spirit war. What is it? Jesus is the son of God. That's it. This is his last, this is his next to the last part of this series. Jesus is the son of God. The word of God given through the Holy Spirit to the apostle John has revealed three witnesses that pronounce the same thing in agreement. Jesus is the son of God. And I'm going to ask you several times today this question. Well, would you reject these three witnesses, the water, the blood, and the spirit? And what would happen to you if you reject these three witnesses? Because John is under the Holy Spirit, and he's bringing these three witnesses to the forefront. The water, the spirit, and the blood. They all agree that Jesus is the Son of God. They all agree and confirm and reveal a single truth. And understand, this single truth is your survival in the spirit war. Jesus is the Son of God. It's called faith. It's what believers do. They believe. They believe what? Jesus is the Son of God. So let's start with those three. Let's start with water. There's a testimony. Did you know that water makes a testimony? Jesus was baptized in water. Why? To reveal that he was the son of God. So there is a direct connection between water and Jesus's revelation as the son of God. Water is a witness to the reality of the person of Christ He's God's son. Do you know when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus? In the water. Coincidence? Let's read it. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew 3.13. And what are we looking for today? John says that you will not survive the spirit war until you believe that Jesus is the son of God. And how do I know that Jesus is the son of God? There's witness testimony, water, blood, 
and spirit. So here we go. Verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk Jesus out of it. You understand why? If Jesus asked you to baptize him, what do you think you'd do? I'd say, no, you need to baptize me. Right? I kind of get it. I do. John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, John said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, listen carefully. It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. God the Father is requiring that Jesus be baptized. So let's just stop for a moment. We kind of understand why we're asked to be baptized because it's this picture of washing. It's this picture of, 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 of cleaning out the old and giving a place for the new. You know, it's, it's this purification. That's what water was in the tabernacle, what it was purification. But Jesus is perfect. So why does he need to be baptized? The water will become a witness. To what? Say with me. The water will be the witness that he is the Son of God. It's coming. Hold on. So he comes to John and says, I want you to baptize me. It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agrees to baptize him. After his baptism, listen carefully, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, what? This is my dearly loved son. Do you get it? Who brings me great joy. What was revealed in the water? Jesus is the son of God. The water is given a witness testimony of the identity of Jesus Christ. He's the son in the water of baptism, God's voice revealed a single truth. Jesus is my son. Coincidence that they're in water? In the water of baptism, the Spirit came. Heavens opened and the Spirit came upon Jesus. In the water of baptism. Coincidence? Or is the water giving a testimony of the identity of this man. The water and the Spirit are both testifying in this scene that Jesus is the Son of God. John didn't want to baptize Jesus. He felt unworthy and unqualified. But Jesus said what to him? It is God's requirement that you do this to me. Jesus would be revealed as the Son of God in the water. Some three years later, on the cross, the water and the blood would reveal Jesus again as the Son of God. So let's go to John 19. Jesus is on the cross. It was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day which was the Sabbath, a very special Sabbath, because it was the Passover. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. And then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came to break the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. Now this is important because this event on the cross is going to reveal that he is the Christ, he is the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Verse 34, one of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear. Instead of breaking his legs, they pierced his side with a spear, and immediately two things come out. Blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you can also believe. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say, not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on the one they pierced. That testimony 
about the blood and the water flowing from the body of Jesus comes from the same John that wrote the letter that we're studying now. The water and the blood on the cross are witnesses that Jesus is the Son of God. They are witnesses. Would you reject those three witnesses? In that moment, do you understand all that took place that day? The sun was darkened, the earth shook. All of heaven is declaring the unique reality that this man with the water and the blood is the Son of God. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. They will, not one of his bones will be broken, so they don't do it. But he will be pierced, and from the pierced there will be water and blood that will testify of his identity. All of this reveals he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Son. I'm going to ask you again. Would you reject these three witness testimonies? And what would happen if you did? Do you think there would be consequences if you rejected the witness testimonies of the water and the blood and the Spirit? Well, let's fast forward again. Some 50 days after the cross to the day of Pentecost. And if you know anything about the day of Pentecost, it's the day that the church was born. And the Holy Spirit, the heavens open and there's this Holy Spirit power that comes down and falls upon some Jewish men assembled in Jerusalem. And I'm going to ask you a question. The Spirit comes to Jerusalem. The Spirit falls upon people. There's like, they can speak foreign languages. They've they've got these fiery things over top of their head. Um, There's a great rushing wind. Uh, There's supernatural things happening. And the Spirit has come. Who is the Spirit? Who, who is the Spirit? Because don't think of the Spirit today as an it or a thing. Don't, don't do it because you're going to miss the witness testimony. Who is the Spirit that comes on Pentecost to launch the church? Jesus. The Son of God is coming to launch the church. To empower and commission the church. The Spirit of Pentecost is Jesus. So when I read what's coming next, you need to understand that the spirit of Pentecost, the power that comes upon people as the church is commissioned to do its job is Jesus. Jesus revealed all of this to them before he went to the cross. The spirit would come and testify that Jesus was the son of God. He reveals all this in advance. So let's go to John 14 before Pentecost. Let's let's back up. He's telling them in advance something about the Spirit and what the Spirit will reveal. What's the three witnesses? The blood, the water, and the Spirit. Revealing the same truth. He's the Son of God. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit, another, another advocate. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him, why? Because he lives with you now. Jesus is with them when he says this. And later he will be in you. He lives with you now. You think they're getting it? He lives with you now, but later he'll be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. See, he's already told them that I'm going to be leaving. He says, but I'm not going to abandon you as orphans. I will come to you, but I will not be in the flesh. I will be in the spirit. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my father and you are in me. And here it comes. And I am in you. Here's the Spirit. I, Jesus says, I, me, I'll be the Spirit power in you. And those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them. And here it comes. And when I love them, I will reveal myself to them. 
I will reveal to them who I am. And who is he? He is the Son of God. On the day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and others standing there, Peter announced the water and the Spirit again. Adding to John's witness testimony, Peter reveals Jesus as the Son of God, and the water and the Spirit give witness testimony. Now understand, as I read Acts chapter 2, the church is being born, the Holy Spirit has come, and Peter's about to preach a sermon he did not write. Who's speaking through Peter? The Holy Spirit. Who's speaking through Peter? The Son of God. Christ in me. Here you go. Peter says, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. What does that say to you? Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor at God's right hand. What's he saying by that? He is the son of God. He's seated at the highest place of honor at the right hand of the Father. He's the Son of God. And, as, and the Father, as He promised, gave Him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain, what? Let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37, Peter, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? What's, what brought them to this? There's supernatural things happening. The Holy Spirit is coming. Peter has preached a sermon that says, you crucified the Son of God. What should we do? Peter answered, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness for your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles. Somebody say, hallelujah. hallelujah. Did you know you're in this? And even to the Gentiles and all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 and all. There are three that give a witness. There's the water, there's the spirit, and there's the blood. A witness testimony. Let me go on. One more. When Jesus was sharing his identity with the Jewish people, he comes to a religious man named Nicodemus. And he comes to Nicodemus in advance of the cross, and he tries to teach Nicodemus what it means to be born again, to, to have new life inside of you. In John 3, verse 3, here's what he says. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's pretty absolute, right? If you understood what born again means. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Now listen, most people can kind of come to grips with the Spirit side of that statement, but the water side confuses people. Jesus says, no one can be enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born of the water and the Spirit. Why? Verse 6, humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, 
but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Nobody can really explain how it works. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? Water and Spirit? You don't get it? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned but the Son of Man who came down from heaven. Now we're getting into it. What's Jesus revealing here? No one has ever gone into heaven and came back except the Son of Man who came down from heaven. Jesus is revealing his true identity to Nicodemus. He's the Son of Man, the Son of God who came from heaven. And once you get that truth, everything changes in the relationship. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. You think Nicodemus is getting it? He's not getting it. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Did you know that's the context of John 3.16? The context of John 3.16 is you, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born of the water and the spirit. What are the water and the spirit revealing? John 3.16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. All of this is revealing the true identity of Christ. He is the Son of God. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And God sent his Son, his Son, his Son. These are singular announcements of the one truth that saves you in the spirit war. You must believe that he is God's Son. This is the testimony of the water. This is the testimony of the Spirit. This is what it means to be born again. To believe that he is who he says he is. Verse 17, God did not, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. Why? Already been judged for not believing, not believing, not believing in God's one and only son. Do you see it? There's the condemnation. You've already been judged for not believing that he is who he says he is. Verse 19, and this judgment is based, on, is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. I'll ask you right now, can you see it? I wonder, I told you this was the hardest of the 12 in the series. Can you see it? Can you see the witness testimony of the water? Can you see the witness testimony of the blood? Can you see the witness testimony of the Spirit? All declaring a single truth, and the single truth is the only way for you to survive the Spirit war. Jesus is the Son of God. And would you reject the witness testimony of the water and the blood and the Spirit? And if you did, what would happen to you? So I'm going to repeat verse 6 through 8. Listen carefully. And Jesus was revealed as God's Son. And Jesus was revealed as God's Son. What's the point? God's Son. By His baptism in water and by His blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and they all three agree. The Spirit, the water, the blood, all agree on what? Jesus is the Son of God. One more time. When you, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, conclude in your mind, there was a man who walked on the earth. 
And he's God. And he's the only God. And he has all power and dominion and authority forever and ever. He's eternal. And he died on a tree to redeem you from the grave. And he comes out of the grave and turns and looks at the entire world and says two words. Follow me. When you conclude his true identity, you will. That's it. You will. You, you will follow him. You, it, won't, it, it won't be something you struggle with after you know who he really is. Do you believe the testimony of the water? Do you believe the testimony of the blood? All of them are trying to tell you that his real identity is he's, he sits at the right hand of the Father with all power, dominion, and authority. Your life, your future rests with him. You must know who he is. So I'll ask you this question. Do you believe in the testimony of the water? And here's why. There's a lot of things in the last 30 years that have made me grow weary in ministry. I'm going to tell you one of them today. I grow weary at those who minimize water baptism in their witness testimony. I grow weary. It makes me tired. It does. People who want to minimize water baptism as if whatever, whatever. They, they want to minimize one of the three things that John brings out as the testimony of God of the reality of the person of Christ as his son. Peter preached water baptism on the day of Pentecost. Peter preached. He has the Holy Spirit inside of him. Jesus is inside of Peter. And he preaches water baptism on the day of Pentecost. And you know what didn't happen that day? So Peter does what? Peter preaches the sermon. You crucified the Son of God. What should we do? What did he say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, even Gentiles. And you know what didn't happen that day? The crowd didn't rush up and say, but you know what? I really don't know. I think baptism is a whole lot, well, it looks a whole lot like a work. And we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So I don't think we should be baptized, Peter. You know, that didn't happen anywhere. You know what happened that day? They felt a sense of urgency. They felt the, the reality is he's God and I'm lost. And he has opened a window of opportunity to be, become part of salvation through Jesus Christ. And, and you want to debate baptism in this scene? It makes me tired. It makes me tired because, you know, I get all these people who want to debate. Well, you know, baptism is kind of like a work or it's like. Let me repeat verses two and three from first John chapter five. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Who is inside of Peter on the day of Pentecost? Who is inside of Peter on the day of Pentecost saying, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who is it? Is it Peter? Then the church has no supernatural power. But if it is Christ inside of Peter saying, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and future generations and even the Gentiles. Hallelujah. Verse 2. We know we love God's children if we love and obey, love God and obey his commandments. And loving God means, and loving God means, and loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Let me, let me put it another way. Repent and be baptized. What if uh, I'll repent, but I'm not going to be baptized? Do, do you want to negotiate with him? I'll repent, because you know that looks like a biggie, but I'm not going to be baptized. 
Or what if you flip it over? What if you say, I find this one more common. I'll be baptized, but I'm not going to repent. You don't know who he is. Are you listening to me? You do not know who he is. You have no clue. You know what they said when Peter preached, you crucified the son of God. What should we do? What should we do? They recognized the urgency of their situation. What should we do? Do you believe Jesus is the son of God? Do you accept the witness testimony of the water, the blood, the spirit? And what would happen to you if you didn't? The water, listen, I'm going to make something really clear because I know this is the kind of sermon everybody wants to misquote you in. The water does not save you. Jesus saves you. But Jesus told you to be baptized. And if you love him, you will obey him. Those are his words, not, not mine. You will obey him. And I grow weary on this issue of baptism. I grow weary. You know, for 30 years, we've been baptizing people here. I haven't killed anybody yet. No one's been left in the pool. And, <gasps> it's never happened. I, I, I grow weary. So here's why. Are you afraid that baptism is a work of salvation? And you read the Bible where it says we're saved by grace through faith. Through faith. It's a gift from God, lest any of us should boast. So you're afraid that baptism might be a work. And I really don't want to be saved by work, so I'm not going to be baptized. So let me ask you another question. Do you believe that repentance is a work? Do you believe that obedience is a work? So you're just going to reject everything? I can just tell you this. You do not know who he is. You have no clue who he is. Repent. He's trying to save your life. Be baptized. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born of the water and the spirit. I didn't say it. He did. Do you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, if I can negotiate the terms, then you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what the problem is, really? You don't want to die. And baptism is your death. And there's a spirit power inside of you that says, not not me. I'm going to retain control of me. And Jesus says, unless you die to yourself and let me make you born a second time, you will never enter heaven. In Mark 16, 15. And then he told them, Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And anyone who believes and is baptized, believes what? Jesus is the Son of God. And baptized, why? Because he said this, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, and anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Jesus connects believing to water baptism. Should you obey him? Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be condemned? Do you see what's at stake here? His commands are not burdensome. Believe and be baptized or refuse that Jesus is the Son of God. Water is a witness. It's not an accident that Jesus received the Holy Spirit in the water. It's not an accident that Jesus in the water opened heaven and God pronounced he is the Son of God. I do not say, listen, I have never said that baptism, water baptism is the only way to receive the Holy Spirit. I will say this, it is a way to receive the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. And without Christ, you don't have a hope. And that's the truth. His commands are not burdensome. We must be born again in that process. Here's the problem. You know what? Even if you don't realize it yourself, here's the, here's the issue. Baptism is a picture of death to yourself. So that he might reign in your heart. Romans 6, 3. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. 
For we died and were buried with Christ in baptism. What happens when you go in the water? We bury you in the water. All the way under. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives since we have been united with him in death. We will also be raised to life as he was. The Apostle Paul takes a picture of the children of God called Israel from the Old Testament. And then he takes that picture. And he uses that picture to the church and gives us this great big warning. And before I read it, let me give you the, so you'll understand when I say it. They, the children of Israel, they were guided through the wilderness by what? By a cloud. What did you think the cloud would represent in the church age? By the Spirit. And they all went through the sea. They all went through the Red Sea. It parted. They went through the sea. What is that a picture of now? Baptism. They all went through the water. They all were guided by the cloud. There's the spirit testimony. They all went through the water. There's the baptism. There's the water. And they all drank from the same spiritual rock that traveled with them. And I'm going to read it to you. And it says that rock was Jesus before Jesus was born. Can you see it? The water, the spirit, and the blood. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago, Israel. All of them were guided by a cloud, there's the Spirit, that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In a cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. And all of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Jesus. Here comes the blood. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, why does he bring that up to the church? These things happened as a warning to us. Is anybody listening? These things happened as a warning to us, so that we would not crave evil things as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry, and we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. I've gone through all the scripture today to reveal the witness testimony of the water and the blood and the spirit. And I ask you, do you believe it? Because they're all testifying a single truth. Jesus is the Son of God, sent into the world to save your soul from the wrath and judgment of God. And what does it say to God if you reject this witness testimony today? Understand the consequences. If you reject this truth, Jesus is the Son of God and He asks you to follow Him. If you reject this witness testimony, what's going to happen? Verse 9. And since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about His Son and all who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. And those who don't believe are actually calling God a liar. If you reject this witness testimony, you're calling God a liar. Because they don't believe what Jesus, what God has testified about His Son. And what do you think is going to happen to people who call God a liar? After He has declared Jesus to be His only begotten. Those who call God a liar will be condemned to hell forever. Their sins will not be forgiven and they will be eternally lost. I must tell you the truth today, but I don't want to be, that to be our closing. Our closing today is the title of this message, believers. Those who believe that Jesus is indeed God's only son. This is why they call the gospel the good news. Here we go, verse 11 and 12. And this is what God has testified by the water, by the blood, and by the Spirit. This is what God, this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is where? In His Son. And whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Today we believe in Jesus, and because we believe, we have life 
forever life. The water testifies today. Baptism is a picture of your death to self, buried with Christ, washed clean, raised to a new life. Just recently, I came to this conclusion. Baptism is a public declaration that you're changing sides in the spirit war. And let me tell you why I say that. Because in the spirit war, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants you to die. He wants you to go into the grave and not come out of the grave. Baptism is your announcement that with Christ, I'm going into the grave. And with Christ, I'm coming out of the grave. That's why we don't leave you in the water. It's a public declaration that I'm changing sides. I believe that with Jesus in me, yes, I must die. I must deny myself, take up a cross to follow him. But I'm going to trust that if I give him my life, I surrender my life, he takes me into the grave, he will raise me from the grave. Do you believe in the water testimony? Have you been baptized? The blood of Jesus testifies today. Though your sins be as scarlet, he will make them white as snow. This blood can wash you white as snow. Blood can forgive your sins and make you at peace with God today. And third, the Spirit testifies today. As I read God's holy word, the Spirit testified, testifies. It's like a pillar of fire that went in front of Israel, a pillar of cloud that went in front of Israel, the rock of Jesus guiding them through the wilderness with two words, follow me. There's life in me. I am who I say I am. I am the Son of God. All power, dominion, and authority has been given to me by the Father. I sit at his right hand, and I hold the keys to death and the grave. It's me. And when you conclude he is who he says he is with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will follow him. You will. Who would turn this down? Who would turn this down? They're called unbelievers. It's just that simple. The New Living Translation uses the word believers or believer 176 times to describe who we are in Christ. We simply believe Jesus is God's son. Changes everything. This is the summary verse I started with. I'll close with it. 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. So today I give you this counsel, church. Look up. Look up today and give thanks to your Father for sending his only Son so that you and I might become his brothers and sisters and enter into his eternal family called the children of God. Look up and give thanks. But I also say look around. Look around at your family, the children of God, and give thanks that we do not walk this wilderness by ourselves. He gave us all of us together so that none of us would be alone on the wilderness journey. Now, we join those who have gone before us with our witness testimony. Today, we testify about the water, the blood, and the spirit to a world that does not know about any of the three. They don't know, and we must tell them. Some will accept it and some will reject it, but we tell them anyway. Today, do you accept this three witness testimony, water, blood, and spirit? I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. It was years ago I came to a simple conclusion. I believe that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe you'd believe in Jesus. I'll do it again slower. I believe that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe that you would believe in Jesus. Here's the last thought. I doubt there's a person in this room that doesn't want Jesus to be Savior. I highly doubt that. You with me? Who wouldn't want somebody to save them one day when we face death or some tragedy? Everyone wants a Savior, but there's a problem with that. For him to be your Savior, he must also be your Lord. And until you acknowledge both, you still haven't concluded who he is. And when I say Lord, the word Lord means master. 
And that means you bend your knee to him. That means you deny yourself and you acknowledge him as way more than you are. And that you turn your life over to him. You must deny yourself, take up a cross to follow him. So the idea that everybody wants a savior, well, that's great. But do you want a master? Do you want a master? Do you want to die to yourself? Baptism is this picture of spiritual death. I got to die. I got to die. To be born again, I got to die. Well, I don't want to die. I don't want to repent. Then you will die. So today, do you know who he is? He's the son of God. He holds your eternal future in his hand. And he said, follow me. That following him begins when you bend your knee to him. You deny you as the power and you acknowledge him for who he is. He's the son of God. Holy Spirit, would you do your work? The witness testimony is clear. The water, the blood, and the spirit testify that Jesus is the son. All power, dominion, and authority belongs to him. And to him we will all stand accountable. Father, redeem us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that will believe you. Move among us today in power in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. The invitation is open. It's open.